This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Jim Kelleher, the CFO of Actifio based in Boston, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 445. Finance should be a connector, not an auditor or a beam owner. Uh, and so I think the, the difference is uh, that finance is increasingly the hub of that set of communications, the connection amongst functions, not just through accounting statements, but rather through making information available in dashboards and uh, in other mechanisms so that we can really use it. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. Michael Baer's career roots run deep in finance and technology startups around the Boston region. To date, he has served as finance leader for a string of startups that stretch back to the eve of the dot-com era. Today, as CFO of Wasabi Technologies, Michael is once more adapting and preparing a business to open a new chapter of growth. We begin after these words from our sponsor. In a world that's always changing, one thing never does. Your need to adapt. Your need to evolve. Your need to grow. That's why we built Workday, a single finance, HR, and planning system that can change as your needs change and evolve as the world evolves. To learn how Workday is helping mid-sized organizations embrace the future with confidence, Visit us at Workday.com. Today we're speaking to Michael Bayer, CFO of Wasabi Technologies, a cloud storage company. Michael, welcome. Thank you very much, Jack. Looking forward to our morning conversation today. Michael, we know you're, you're a new arrival at Wasabi, and we want to learn about Wasabi today. But first, if you wouldn't mind, take us back in time with you and share a few of those experiences that helped put you on the path to become this, this CFO of so many uh, venture-backed firms today. What, what would you share with us? Um, so I, I think there are a bunch of things that make up a financial career. Uh, I guess I'd start with uh, education, which to me is the most important part of it. Uh, I have a broad educational background, uh, including studying uh, computer science and uh, uh, economics and finance and investments. Um, I got a BS and then an MBA, uh, and then I finished a CFA. And with all of those things together, I think I had the technical background to step into a finance role. I think it's built on not only an understanding of the the underpinnings of finance and accounting and economics, but also uh, technology. 
and uh, that's really helped me set up for a career in finance. Uh, from a career standpoint, uh, going public was a, a big deal for me. Uh, my first CFO job was at MotherNature.com, and that took me from being a finance team of one on a team of seven people uh, to managing a nationwide logistics organization and a public offering just 18 months later. Being uh, one on the job, I was terrified. I realized how much I didn't know about what I was about to dive into. Uh, and then 18 months later, the day we placed, we went public, uh, and I realized that I figured out a lot. Um, and, and I'd say the things that really prepare us all for our career uh, is failing. Uh, MotherNature.com ultimately crashed and fell out of the dot-com implosion. Uh, I think if leaders should have a good failure along the way to teach them humility and team wanted to ask, one of the things I, I know from your bio, you're an adjunct lecturer at Babson, and of course you went to Babson undergrad. It seems like you had an early entrepreneurial bend towards your career, is that correct? Uh, I did, and uh, actually I'm a, uh, a real uh, Babson fan. Uh, the runs deep in the blood of my family. Uh, my father was a dean and a professor there. Uh, I met my wife there, and I've always stayed in touch with the school. Uh, which is all about entrepreneurship. And even while I was in college, uh, I had my own computer consulting company where I was building uh, business systems in the early days of computing. And uh, uh, I've always had an entrepreneurial bent to the activities that I've done. Uh, I was able to recently reconnect with Babson as an adjunct uh, lecturer there uh, where I teach finance and specifically uh, raising capital and I'm building a new course in technology for finance majors because I think it's such an important part of a finance career today. Many CFOs we speak to uh, in the startup realm have sort of varied backgrounds. They don't come up necessarily through the uh, what might be thought of as the traditional accounting ranks, public accounting, controller. They have different paths. I'm wondering, as someone who's clearly been involved with so many different startups in this sort of entrepreneurial realm, where did you acquire your technical knowledge? How did you uh, – but for people like yourself, uh, you have to sort of acquire that knowledge along the way as well. How did you do that? Uh, sure. So I think it's a combination of formal education, uh, self education and experience. Uh, I started out uh, in the very early days of PCs uh, in high school, uh, programming on a TRF-80 with a cassette drive for storage. Uh, I did a computer science major uh, and was actually building out computer systems for uh, companies in the early days of personal computing. Uh, and I've always kept that technology thread to the things that I've done. Uh, I, I try to stay current on trends. I'm not a programmer anymore, uh, but as recently as this past year, uh, I tried to get current on machine learning uh, and uh, took a deep learning class online. Uh, I think it's really important for CFOs in particular to understand the technology landscape uh, and be able to put those tools into practice uh, in their own function. 
yourself here. You've done this so many times before. You stepped into a new role. There, there are certain key hires you had to make. What's different this time? Is there some other priority that, you know, lessons learned along the way? We need to get this in place if I'm going to be successful. Is there something like that? So I think the big transition that's gone on in the past few years uh, is that the CFO is increasingly the new CIO. Uh, it's really about managing data and workflows uh, and instrumenting the business in a meaningful way, take all the data that's flying around uh, and present it to the organization as actionable information. And I think uh, if there's anything that's changing about the role and how I want to think about setting it up, it's being data-centric. Uh, so that means really investing aggressively in automation uh, and workflows and processes uh, so that the human resources that are here can partner with the system uh, to deliver out value. And I think the other thing that's changed is the availability of lots and lots of specialized tools, which don't just cloud uh, and leverage uh, new advances in machine learning and AI to do more. Uh, I think the, the fears of finance going away because of AI are ill-founded, but it's going to change. Uh, and it's important for uh, all of us financial professionals to think about what are we going to do differently uh, to add value because we have better productivity with all of these tools available to us. Let's find out about Wasabi a little more here. What is distinguishing this cloud uh, storage offering? There, you know, there are certain name brands that already exist today uh, that are, are pretty sizable. Uh, one would think this is this could be a tough, tough marketplace to get an edge in. What is the edge that Wasabi has? Sure. So Wasabi is hot cloud storage. Uh, it's fast, it's inexpensive, and it's secure. Um, this is an enormous marketplace, and I think there's an opportunity for all of the large players uh, and us as an emerging player to be successful in, uh, in this growing marketplace. Uh, and right now, uh, only 20% of enterprises have moved their data to the cloud. That's projected to be 80% by 2022 by Gartner, a leading research firm. So the opportunity is extraordinary. What we bring, bring to the marketplace is hot or active data that's instantly available. Um, we don't have to tier it. Uh, you know, changing from archive data that's off at a tape facility uh, to hot storage that's available to you immediately. We make all of that accessible to you now. Uh, cloud storage gives you access to all of your data as if it were located right at your desktop. And we make that really inexpensive. So you, you don't have to make decisions about what data you're going to store and what data you're going to throw away anymore. We make it inexpensive enough. Uh, that you can store everything because you just don't know what you're going to use when. And th this idea of hot cloud storage uh, really disrupts the model of large cloud vendors uh, who are pricing at, uh, at very expensive ways. Um, we make it 80% cheaper. 
we make it six times faster. What we're doing is turning storage into a utility. It's just like electricity. You know, when you plug your computer into the wall, you don't ask where the electrons came from. Uh, you just want to know that you're getting the most cost-effective ones and that they're on when you need them to be on. And that's what we're delivering is storage where you just plug it in, uh, it's inexpensive, and it's ready to go when you need it. So, I, I mean, that sounds, conceptually, that sounds very interesting. I, I'm just not certain, how does that differ from some of the larger brands out there? And, uh, you know, whether it's Dropbox or Box or some of the, you know, and, and, and the concept of hot, what, what is, is that something that these other uh, companies I just mentioned cannot provide? Well, we're, we're really aiming at the enterprise. And so, ultimately, uh, I think the, the core value proposition is that we are less expensive and higher performance than the other solutions that are out there. And is that, um, is that what the hot means? Yeah, hot is the idea that it's online for you. It's instantaneous. It's there whenever you need it. And so, in, in, in prior generations, if you wanted really cheap storage, you push things off the tape. That's not hot. That means that when you want old data uh, or archive data, that means that you you have to go and uh, go to your uh, archive vendor and they bring a tape back to your facility. Uh, if you if you put things even on, even some of the newer vendors have have glaciers uh, that they push off data onto under uh, another server and it can take you hours to retrieve that data. You're pushing it off into an archive setting because that's the only way you can make it cost-effective to store all of that. What we're changing is we're making it really inexpensive to store all of your data. And so by doing that, you don't have to make decisions about what data I store as instantly available and what data I store as off on archive that I have to go chasing. You can put everything instantaneously available milliseconds to access all your data on, uh, on uh, Wasabi's service, and you make all of that accessible and take it away from you having to make trade-off decisions about what data you're going to keep and what data you're not. So I, I imagine it's a subscription service, and uh, the metrics here that are top of mind would be renewable revenues, customer churn, customer retention. What, what else would be? Uh, top of mind for you? Uh, sure. I mean, the, the things I really think about uh, are new customers signing up, uh, existing customer growth, uh, and revenue growth. I mean, that's, that's really what I, I, I focus on when I wake up in the morning. There are a whole bunch of other kinds of measures uh, that we have to think about that are typical of subscription or recurring revenue business.
of data uh, that uh, finance is tracking and trying to help some of the decision-making along the front lines. Do uh, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I guess it, it gets to the, the role of how finance brings value to the organization. Uh, you know, data is everything, but data isn't useful. It's up to finance to help turn that into information and, and more importantly, actionable information. I think finance should be a connector, not an auditor or a gamekeeper. And so it's working with the folks on the team to articulate the business model uh, in a way that's actionable uh, and to make sure that we're all uh, headed the same direction to point out where are their interdependencies, uh, to point out where there are resource shortfalls, where we need to make investments in everything from our uh, market efforts to our, um, uh, our infrastructure to make sure that we are delivering value for customers. Uh, and so I, I think the, the difference is uh, that finance is increasingly the hub of that the communications, the connection amongst functions, uh, not just through accounting statements, but rather through um, uh, making information available in dashboards and, uh, and other mechanisms. So we can really use it. We will be back with Michael Baer after this Thought Leader Minute. Uh, as some of you know, I've been out and about this uh, past fall season at different conferences, and recently when I was at the AFP conference, I stepped into the FireApps booth, which some of you may know FireApps specializes in software that helps you with uh, foreign exchange. I asked if there was a thought leader available, and my gosh, they uh, brought forth their CEO. So you'll here I am engaging with Wolfgang Coaster, CEO of FireApps. And we'll be back with Michael Baer, of course, of Wasabi Technologies, after this. Hello. We're attending AFP's annual conference in Chicago this week, and we're pleased to catch up with Wolfgang Coaster, CEO of FireApps. Wolfgang, good to, good to meet you. Hi, Jack. Good to be here. How are you? Wolfgang, when it comes to FX in 2019, mm -hmm. what challenges must CFOs keep in mind? 
Well, I think the number one challenge, the overriding and strategic part is that foreign exchange is going to continue in its volatility, if not get more. I think the political environment and geopolitical environment states that very clearly. I think the thing that needs to be very clear for CFOs, this isn't just about the tactical part of strategic, uh, sorry, the, the tactical part of managing currency risk by treasury. The other thing to keep in mind, it's also about the strategic part. So when the CEO and CFOs that I've talked to say, think about foreign exchange, they think about tactically, what are we doing in treasury? What are we doing about balance sheet risk management? What are we doing about cash flow risk management? But when it comes to strategic part, they really need to understand how currencies impact every line of the income statement. Very doable today, by the way. And then really think about, okay, what do I need to do with my supply chain? What do I need to think about taxes? How do I need to think about my cost? Are there other ways to offset that? And really getting a good enterprise currency analytics in there, which you can very quickly understand all these things and then articulate it, not just to the uh, organization itself, but also to the stakeholders. In other words, what is earnings per share impact going to be? What is EBITDA impact going to be? How is it going to impact revenues? Where is this coming from? And what are they doing to mitigate it? These analysts, especially for publicly traded companies, are getting much more sophisticated and expecting sophisticated answers. Fire Apps, Wolfgang Coasters. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jack.
require talking about revenue goals and spending controls. Uh, and so I spent a lot of time educating them on the basics. Um, what's the difference between bookings and revenue? Uh, what are, why are some products profitable and others are not? It all starts with the basics. You know, it may be in your question you're looking for some model that's changed by view of the economics of the business or some aha moment where I looked up from a spreadsheet and said, Rika, I found the secret. And all of a sudden we went from losing money to making money. I really think the most powerful thing to do as a CFO and a business leader uh, is to articulate the business strategy in measurable terms, hire great people, and be a great coach. And I'm still learning how to do that. <laughs> Can I ask you, it's interesting, your career, for the most part, you've been able to build it, and, and uh, there are probably a, a mix of personal and professional reasons, in the Boston geographic area. I have no doubt that there was an opportunity outside the Boston area that perhaps you seriously considered. Am I right about that? I've thought about um, moving many times along the way, and I always come back to Boston is a great place to live, it's a great place to work, uh, and it's a great place to build a career. Uh, I think the West Coast has uh, some other great technology opportunities, um, but uh, I think increasingly um, this is a place where there have been multiple really large companies built. Uh, SaaS is, is, is uh, a big and growing theme here. You've got companies like HubSpot that are continuing to grow quickly. Um, there are pools of talent to leverage. Uh, and uh, there's really there's really no reason to move someplace else if the opportunities were here. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I think the, the uh, technology world is moving rapidly to embrace new technologies like uh, the cloud, but also machine learning, AI, uh, blockchain, and, and other tech, uh, lots of which feed into our market opportunity in Wasabi. Uh, and those are centered here. These are centers of excellence for us. We've got great educational institutions that inspire that. Uh, so why move? And by the way, we have some great sports teams here, so it's hard to justify moving someplace else when uh, your teams uh, pretty consistently uh, perform. Now, just to give our, our listeners uh, some better perspective on your career, you probably have been involved as a CFO in no less than a half dozen startup, which means you've done something time and again that is not always easy, and that is forming a relationship with a CEO and sort of finding an alignment or, uh, you know, finding your financial footing in lockstep with a CEO who has a vision yet to be fully realized. You're always thinking, you know, is this someone I... I can partner with, I can work, you know, in, in step with. Um, is there any advice you have about that unique uh, relationship, having had uh, this long experience and path that you've taken uh, as, a, as a CFO in startups? I think you're right. That is a critical relationship. And the CFO-CEO partnership uh, is a really critical 
relationship that helps the whole management team function. As a CFO, uh, my role is certainly to lead a function in the business. Uh, it's also to partner with my other uh, C-level colleagues and the rest of the company, and also to work directly with the CEO, who oftentimes has a lonely job. Um, when they're driving home on Friday night at the end of a long week, uh, and they're starting to think about things, oftentimes I can be a trusted uh, mirror, devil's advocate, thought partner uh, in a way that uh, because of the, the nature of my role and looking across the organization, it's sort of unique. Uh, and I think I've worked hard to build that kind of relationship, uh, relationship with each of my, uh, my CEOs. Uh, where it's been successful, uh, it's been with people who uh, I, I think share my values. Integrity is, is absolutely key. Um, valuing people. Um, the, the importance of uh, accountability within an organization. Uh, the importance of creativity uh, and ways to foster that. Um, I, I, I count among my, um, my best mentors uh, and uh, closest friends. Uh, one of my early CEOs with whom I had a, a very close relationship. And uh, 20 years later, we still have that. And I'd say most of my CEOs I remain friendly with even today uh, because we shared principles and values uh, and perspectives. Uh, and I just think that's critical to make the role work. Next, we enter the mentoring round with Michael Baer after this. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. We enter the mentoring round now, and I'll ask you, what is exciting you today about finance and business?
were major undertakings for us. Uh, we actually had to build out a call center so that people could place an order online and then call us with their credit card number because they didn't want to put it into a, a website. Um, we think of that as it's, it's archaic uh, to think about it, but we're building the early underpinnings of what is today the e-commerce world that we're all taking advantage of. For those who don't remember uh, the severity of the dot-com implosion, uh, I'm wondering, is there anything you can share with us about uh, how quickly, how devastating, how the implosion happened? It, it, it happened so quickly and violently. Is there any anecdote you can share with us how went from one day to the next, how your role changed and what happened to the company? There was an evolution. So uh, we kicked off the company in mid-1998, uh, and by the end of 1999, uh, we were public. And that's a, a fascinating journey uh, where I had uh, almost the entire financial career over a period of just 18 months. Uh, I learned a lot at, uh, at lightning speed. Uh, it, was a, it was a delight to have the team that we did. We grew really fast, and uh, we uh, learned a lot doing it. And overnight, uh, we went from being a rapidly growing startup to public, uh, which is an event and an emotional change where you go from being uh, an, an owner uh, and leader uh, to um, a representative of a huge number of folks out there who have a share in the business and traditional responsibility becomes paramount. Uh, and then we watched in 2000 uh, the disintegration of this whole fabric of what we and many other uh, e-commerce vendors and internet companies have, have built um, as the world took a different view on the value of e-commerce companies and internet companies in general. Uh, it went from being uh, all about eyeballs and getting sessions and visitors uh, to all about uh, driving revenue and profitability overnight. And a lot of companies weren't set up to succeed in that kind of a marketplace. And it's interesting, as often as technologies have sort of come in waves and, uh, and, and crashed like that, uh, I've also seen the other side of that where SaaS is coming out as a business model and we've talked about the cloud for a long time. Uh, and uh, many businesses, many industries have been slow to adopt the cloud. But once they start seeing the benefits of it, uh, as slow as it was for industries to adopt, to start adopting the cloud, they're actually uh, very rapidly integrated into their operation. So it takes them longer to go onto the cloud, but then more quickly. Uh, to adopt it as a core technology. And so the speed of technology waves can be on the downside, like what you, what you saw on the on pleasure internet, and it can be on the upside, like what's happened with mobile and SaaS and cloud. Uh, it was your first CFO tour of duty. There would be many others that followed, but this was a true test of leadership because everyone in that company probably turned to you after this 
the collapse of the, of the market. And I have to believe there might have been layoffs. And, and here you are, your first CFO cure of duty, and you're being challenged. Your leadership is being challenged in a way it's never been challenged and maybe never has been challenged since. I don't know. But is there something you can tell us about the, the end chapter for Mother Nature? Sure. I think you, you captured a really important element that's part of a, uh, a CFO's role, and it is getting a, a trusted resource uh, for uh, all stakeholders. That's shareholders, uh, that's managers, that's employees, that's customers. Uh, and what's key to that is being transparent, honest, uh, and understanding and communicating. And I think as testament to uh, how to approach that, um, I, I, I'm still friendly with people who I had to lay off through that experience at Mother Nature. And uh, I think it's important for CFOs. Uh, and all business executives, but particularly CFOs who can be thought of as being, you know, really quiet heroes and, and just the bean counters in the business, uh, to make sure you understand the human element, uh, to really uh, take very seriously the importance of strong relationships with uh, the folks on the team. So that you good times and bad, um, you're a, a trusted guide. Um, I mean, there's a lesson, which is good news fast and bad news faster. Uh, be transparent, uh, be uh, thoughtful, be fair, be understanding, understanding that uh, the person on the other side of your message uh, may not want to hear it, but it's important for you to deliver it in a, in a thoughtful way that's respectful. Thank you uh, for reflecting a little more uh, for us on that, uh, Michael. I have to ask you now for uh, a personal habit that you have that you believe in some way has contributed to your professional success. What comes to mind? Always be running. Okay. Short and to the point. And, and perhaps my affinity for uh, gothic metal music has been an inspiration for me all along the way. Keeps me young. <laughs> all right. Do you have a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? Uh, sure, and, and it's not going to be a finance book. Uh, there's a whole series of, of books that I think are important. I, I think that any, uh, any business professional should read the goal. Uh, by the way, that. Uh, it's a love story, uh, a business love story, and it's really important because it, it helps you understand uh, some of the core precepts of you know, what's important to solve, what are the, uh, the constraints on the business and how to manage them. Uh, and then I'm a personal fan of Yuval Noah Harid uh, and all three of the books that he's written, uh, Sapiens and Homo Deus and more recently 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. The thing I point to these is in these books, he explores uh, the concept of the corporation, the concept of money, um, the, the way that we interact with each other in economies. But I think we all need to take a step back and understand uh, how it is that organizations grow, what they are, uh, and how to look at them critically and objectively. Uh, and then he explores in these books where we're headed as, uh, as human beings. And a lot of it is about how are we going to embrace technology, how are we going to grow um, and uh, partner 
with the machines that are coming. Uh, we, we can't stop their progress. Uh, hoping that robotics and AI uh, will stop and leave us alone isn't going to work. Uh, and so, I mean, it's important to think about how will it change the world for you as an individual, for your family, uh, how you guide your children and their careers, uh, how you guide your employees as they go down in careers. Uh, and so, there are some great themes in those books. Okay, our final question. What are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? So, I'm new here. I've just been here a couple of weeks, and I'm thinking about uh, what I need to build. Uh, this is all about setting up for scale. So, that's, that starts with building a team, uh, instrumenting the business, creating the dashboards, uh, that help us see what's going on, the windshield that helps us see what's coming at us, uh, and then building that planning and forecasting infrastructure and process that facilitates communications to make sure we're all working on the same priorities, uh, to know what we have for resources, to know what we have for interdependencies, uh, and make sure that we're all working together to drive forward. Thank you for joining us on CFO Fall. Thanks so much, Jack. It's a Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.